Let's get ready to jump into faith and repentance and its role as a way that we draw near to the Lord. It's gonna be amazing to see some different ways to think about repentance and faith. It may be some reminders, but maybe you'll learn something new. Let's jump into this session. I was excited because I'm a pound cake, I consider myself a pound cake aficionado. And so I, I, I am a connoisseur of pound cake. And so they, they brought the, the pound cake out, it looked good, it was nice and hot out of the oven with the little crusty top and it looked like it was gonna be moist in the middle. And so, you know, I got some, a nice hunk of vanilla ice cream and put it beside it and it began to dissolve into the pound cake, which I love, it's fontissimo to me. And as it went into the pound cake, I, I took my fork and and, and began to eat the pound cake. But to my surprise, I was confused because what I was tasting did not taste like what I would normally have as pound cake. Uh, and so I sort of looked up and said, what's, what's in this? And they were, the hosts were all excited because they were like, ah, you noticed? I said, yeah, I noticed something. And as they began to explain to me what they had done, they had replaced the butter in the pound cake with applesauce. And I was like, uh, if you take the pound, the, but, the pound of butter out of the pound cake, it no longer, to me, is pound cake. It's something else. As healthy as applesauce is and as great as applesauce is, it doesn't make a pound cake a pound cake. And just as that one ingredient of butter changed the texture, the feel, and the flavor of that pound cake, so uh, are the ingredients of the gospel uh, particularly faith and repentance. If you take faith out of the gospel, if you take repentance out of the gospel as the means by which we connect to the gospel, then what begins to happen is you have another gospel. Because many of us, uh, when we hear the word repentance, uh, we, get, we, we feel a sense of doom and gloom, but really repentance is one of the most freeing items that we could ever experience in any area of our life. One of the things that I'm particularly excited about about this idea is that it, it, it can saturate and change everything in our existence. And faith as well is really uh, coupled with repentance. Both are almost a simultaneous disposition that we have towards the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ because repentance is an act of faith, non-meritoriously. And so as you look in the scriptures and you look in a chapter like Mark chapter 1 and Jesus says, metanoia or repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When, when he's talking about that, that word there in the passage, uh, metanoia, means to change your mind. In other words, when, when, when we're repenting of our sin and turning towards God, we're changing our mind about our disposition towards believing our sin is valuable and putting our faith and confidence by repenting in Christ and the value that he would ascribe uh, to anything in our lives. And so there is no season of our life and there's no person on the planet that doesn't have sin. John says something powerful. John says, uh, if, if, if anyone says they have no sin, they're lying. The truth is not in them. And so repentance is that way in which we consistently find ourselves uh, turning back 
to God. Uh, repentance is made up of really uh, two components, confession and turning. Uh, the Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who confesses and forsakes a matter will find favor. And so the idea of just confessing and acknowledging something isn't repentance. Repentance is not only acknowledging that it's wrong, but, but believing that it's wrong and being willing to turn by the power of God towards belief in God as the, as the central point of our turning from whatever it is in our lives. And one of the, uh, one of the largest, most powerful passages in the Bible is Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is, a, is really an ode to repentance by David. And as David writes that, we see that the word repentance is not even once mentioned in that passage. But, but even though it's not mentioned in that passage, you see something great. You see the disposition and power of his commitment to walk in comprehensive repentance so that he can walk with the living God and have fellowship with God once again. One of the most powerful things in relation to David in that passage, we won't go through the whole thing, but I just want to mention a couple of things in it. Uh, see, one of the things that David does is he begins to say uh, this powerful thing here. He says, I know my transgressions. That, that to me is helpful. That word there, no, means yada. In other words, uh, it means that he's intimately acquainted with the pandemic nature of which his sin calls. And one of the things that you know you're repentant when you recognize the nature of the impact of what you've done and your sin on other people. That means you don't try to explain it away. You don't try to uh, 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 couple anyone else in it. You don't try to blame or shift. What you begin to do uh, as a believer is you begin to do what, what, the, what the gospel calls us to do own the extent of our sin and not blaming God, not blaming anyone else, but our role in that and recognize that it may take time for the impact of our sin to get over. But our ability to be forgiven of our sin is when we confess it. Because what does the Bible say? If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And that is, that, that, that's a helpful statement because that means that God doesn't just forgive the sin, but he, he goes to the core of our lives and begins to wash and to cleanse and to deal with the core of that. What does that have to do with growth? Everything. Because when there are areas of unrepentant sin in our life, it's going to impede our ability to grow because not repenting of something means that you're embracing something that's alternative to God's holiness, alternative to God's heart, and alternative to the way in which he nurtures and strengthens us in order that we can be all that we are supposed to be. If you look through almost every prophet in the Bible, one of the things that you'll see over and over and over again is a stagnance amongst the people of God and the God sending the prophet or the man of God out, calling them to repentance. And, and as soon, listen, as soon as they repent holistically, God unleashes upon them uh, the mercy and grace uh, that they need. And as a matter of fact, their ability to repent was God pouring out his mercy and grace, strengthening them with the ability to repent. And however, as we talked about repentance, repentance is a part of the gospel in the sense of is it doesn't it's not just how we get saved. Uh, it's not a part of how we get saved. It's actually uh, powerful enough as it is. It's how we walk in the salvation that we have so that every day, every opportunity, every experience we have, we're turning further into the living God. But then we have the idea of faith. So faith and repentance both go together and they're very, very coupled together. 
In that same passage that I mentioned earlier in Mark chapter 1, Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. And you see how that's connected together in him proclaiming the gospel to people? His first message was repent and believe. Uh, they're sort of cousins of one another. Um, uh, if you look over in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 1, it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Uh, what we're, what's supposed to happen is as God puts himself out there as the object of our faith and things within it that we're believing in him for, what we do is we see a picture based on his promises of what, uh, uh, based on his promises of what he would uh, communicate, of, of, of what he would tell us visionarily. What we do is we put our confidence in him in what he's saying. And when that happens, uh, we, we, we're putting our confidence and leaning into him in might and power and in faith. And so part of the core of being a believer, a part of the core of walking with the Lord Jesus Christ is not beginning our, our walk with him by faith, but we are to continue in him by faith. Uh, you look over powerfully enough in Galatians uh, chapter uh, three and Paul begins asking the Galatians, who has bewitched you? Why has he asked them who has bewitched them? Because they were, someone was trying to get them to be sanctified according to a list of things that they would make themselves valuable in. If I do this, then I'm righteous. If I accomplish this list of things, then I'm righteous. But, but we're not righteous based on what we do. We're righteous based on our faith in the one who's done everything for us. And guess what? Uh, so, somebody said that, that that seems like a simple truth, but the issue is in our lives, we have to we, ha we have to be reminded of the gospel and put our confidence in the gospel so that that gospel by faith can continue to do its continuing work in us. It's interesting that in uh, Romans chapter one, verse 15, Paul says a statement that would seem to be confusing. Uh, it's, it's the book of the New Testament that possibly has the word gospel in it more than any other book in the New Testament. He says uh, in verse 15 of chapter one, he says, I long to preach the gospel to you. Why in the world would he long to preach the gospel uh, to believers who already believe the gospel in the first place? Because we need to be nourished by the gospel. We need to be nurtured by the gospel. And so faith is the way that we continue to walk in uh, a commitment to allowing God's divine work uh, uh, to, to, to be applied to us in our everyday lives. That's why Paul says the outer man is decaying day by day, but our inner man is being renewed day by day. He begins the book with the gospel. It's crazy. He begins Romans with this idea of he wants to preach the gospel to you. But then at the end of the book, in verse 25 of chapter 16, he says another uh, important statement concerning the gospel. He says, may you be strengthened by the preaching of my gospel. And so he's talking to believers again, because what happens is, as we're nourished and strengthened by this idea, it reminds me of uh, a, a, a son uh, getting in the car and noticing uh, that uh, his father was putting gas in the gas tank. And as he was putting gas in the gas tank, uh, the, the, fa the father began to, to drive off and they, they went on this road trip. And as they went on the road trip, it was a long road trip, uh, the son noticed that uh, the father had to get out and stop again. He said, Dad, what are we stopping for? He said, son, we got to get gas again. He said, but you already put gas in the car. He said, son, the, the, he said, the car has everything within it to work. 
And, and as beautiful as this car is and as, as great as the hardware that's in it is, if there's no gas placed in the car, the car will have no momentum, no movement, and will be stuck here. So every time uh, we, we look at the needle and we see on this needle right here, on this diagnostic here, that the gas is getting low, we have to make sure that we're putting more fuel in the car so that we can keep going. Well, that's what the gospel of faith is like. That's what faith and repentance is like. Uh, the, the, it, we have to recognize that we need the gospel filling the tank of our lives so that the momentum of our lives and our commitment to Jesus Christ uh, uh, can be refueled, can be restrengthened, and that we can grow as God works on us as we pursue holiness by repenting of our sin and having faith in the gospel all over again. Repenting of our sin, believing in the gospel again. That is the cycle. The cycle of our lives is being in this refreshing, glorious gospel cycle that God has placed us in to help us to see and have clarity of who we're supposed to be as we grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm praying that you will see this not as a beginner's guide to your faith and walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. But you would see faith and repentance, not as the beginner's God, but you see it as beginner's God, the intermediate God, and the advanced God to your life as you are a pilgrim in progress, walking with God, being apprenticed to Jesus Christ uh, to go from justification, going through your process of sanctification. And ultimately, uh, when we get into heaven, we'll need faith no more. We'll need repentance no more because everything that we were believing God for will be fully realized. But then also with repentance, because we will be fully brand new, we won't have the world, we won't have the flesh, we won't have the devil, we won't have death, we won't have insecurity, we won't have anything in the way. We'll have brand spanking new bodies. Our souls will be fully realized in the fullness of the holiness that God wants us in. And therefore, we will be perfect, never having to ever repent of sin again or be forgiven for our sin again. Take care. Well, I was in Islam for about 20 years and I've been through every single school of Islam, um, Orthodox, Nation of Islam, Morris Science Temple, Fapa Centers, and all of it pretty much was out of a search for identity because I was born Muhammad. I never changed my name. So I figured that you know, Muhammad has to be a Muslim. So being raised in the Islamic faith, one thing that is taught is that you're not born in sin, that you're essentially a good person, you learn bad things, and that you, you know, you become bad basically from how society raised you or your family raised you. So having a, even the concept of being born in sin was all new to me when I came to Christ. And repentance became a more growing factor for me once I knew that I was born in sin, that essentially my nature is corrupt, and that there had to be a bridge to bring me back to the Creator, and that bridge was through Jesus Christ. Um, I think my main thing was a search for identity at the time. My identity was anything that was Islamic or anything that was black power. Uh, if it was white to me, it wasn't right. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't even listening to pastors that weren't even my own persuasion or ministers or activists that weren't uh, African-American or African. And that separation of, I, of seeking my identity as something other than Christ, you know, kept me lost for that, you know, time period. Uh, when I came to Christ, he shut me down. I think one of the first pastors I listened to was like uh, John Piper, John MacArthur, so not only were these dudes white, but they was like old white dudes. So it was just like, 
you know, I'm going to shake you up right now. And uh, when Christ came into my life, he shook me up, showed me what having a true relationship with him was, you know, it became essential that I know I needed to honor that relationship after I came to Christ. So um, understanding to, to honor that relationship of seeing a heavenly father before he was a dictator who I had to answer to, uh, my good, I thought at one point in time, would outweigh my bad, so I could get away with pretty much what I wanted to because I'm pretty much a good guy, did some bad things, but my good outweighs my bad, so according to the you know Islamic doctrine, I should see heaven. But then at the end of the day, I had to ask myself, like, there is no guarantee that I'm going to see heaven. This is, according to the Quran, Allah, the God of the Quran, is going to make a choice if he wants to or not, regardless of what I do. And that kind of just didn't sit well with me when I started hearing um, the redemptive grace of Christ and how no matter what I did in my life or what I continue to do, that my sins was paid for and that if I'm truly in the body of Christ, I'm saved, I'm forgiven. And that was pretty much the first stage. So now Christ is, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has been working with me to sanctify myself even further. I think the first thing is knowing that your identity first is in Christ. It's not in the religious arrangement of, of, of a religion. It's not in your culture. It's not in your family. Your identity is in Christ first. And to understand that this is a, a free gift that was given that we deserve death for sin, and not only did, through God's gracious love, getting just past the, the, the whole redemptive sacrifice of Christ, Christ suffered for us, for our sins. Then on top of that, he said, now I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit after that. And then on top of that, he sent us his word. So it's like, okay, I saved you. I'm going to send you my man to help you out with this. And I'm going to send you this book to hold you down. So that much love to me is just like overwhelming. It's like the job is done already and he still wants to guide me through the scriptures and through the power of the Holy Spirit to still make sure I don't have step, you know, my way along there, knowing that I'm still going to fall. So to me, it's, it's, it's like understanding that, that, that gracious love that it, it's so unfathomable. You can't even think about like such a great love that exists through um, the power of Christ. As you can see, faith and repentance are core components to the gospel. You can't remove them from the gospel and it still be the gospel. And so I hope that um, this session has played a major role in framing the centrality of those two as not merely uh, appetizers or even peripheries of the faith, but they are a very, very core means by which we connect to the gospel.